Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 20 is where we're going to be anchored this morning in God's Word. And if you are new with us, let me explain to you where we have been. We're wrapping up a series that we've entitled Ecclesia. And if you've been here uh, after the first Sunday of Labor Day, then you should know, I'm hoping, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I can't, I can't possibly take the risk of people saying that they don't know what that word means if they've been here every week. So I'm not going to do that. Uh, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I don't want to take the risk of, of feeling that de- de- defeated uh, idea today. So I'm going to believe that every person who's been in here for any length amount of time that we've been in this series knows what that word means. Because here's what it means if you are new with us or you have forgotten. Ecclesia is the Greek word by which Uh, the word church in the English that we see in the New Testament comes from. So if you're reading the New Testament, you need to know, if you didn't know this already, that it's written in Greek, in ekklesia. Every time you see the word church, it comes from this Greek word. And that Greek word, ekklesia, has significance because it really helps us understand what the church is, who the church is, what the church is supposed to be about. Because as we said at the very first week, some of us, if we've grown up in church, we have a tendency to have our own ideal ideology about what the church is. Some of us, may, may, when we hear the word church, might think of it as an organization, like it's, it, it, it's something that it's a machine that just goes. And I would encourage you that it's more than that. Others of us may think of the church as a building, like we're, we're so excited. We've been in this building for a year, God has provided this facility. We're very thankful for it. But this church is not a building. Church is not your hurts. We mentioned that, though all of us have them. Because the reality is, is when you have people that are not perfect operating in one place, guess what? You're going to have sin. We're going to hurt people. But a church is not your hurts. So what is the church? It's that definition. The definition of church, ecclesia, is this. A group of people called out for a particular purpose. Called out of what? Called out of sin. So if I place my trust in Jesus' perfect life, death, and resurrection for my sin, not that there's these cosmic scales in heaven, that if my good outweighs the bad, that I'll be able to have a relationship with God and be able to have a home in heaven. No, I'm putting all of my weight, all of my trust, Whatever you want, word you want to use, faith in what Jesus Christ has accomplished on my behalf, if that's you today, then you're part of the church. You are someone who has been called out. But what I love about that word is that it doesn't leave it there. I've not just been called out from my sin, but I've been called to something. I've been called to live on purpose. And so we as a church have, have defined that purpose this way, have articulated that purpose this way that comes straight out of Scripture in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, Acts 1, 8, that we exist to glorify God by making and mobilizing disciples. Disciples is who we are called to make, who represent the gospel to every man, woman, and child. Like that's what... We are called to whatever church you're in may articulate it a little bit different way, but at the end of the day, we are called to make disciples. We are called to share the gospel that has changed us with others. That's what purpose we have been given. And so we've been walking through that. We've defined what a disciple is, someone who's committed to the word. That's our direction. 
committed to worship. Man, that's my response. Worshiping God in everything, not just with my lips, but with my time, with my talents, with my finances, everything. I'm a living sacrifice. That's my spiritual act of worship, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Then I'm committed to prayer. Man, that's how I dialogue with God. I'm committed to community. Man, I want to not forsake me gathering together with other believers. That's my environment. Man, I want to be committed to mission. That ought to be my passion. We're going to explain more what we look at that today. We've looked at our core values, all five of them. They're on the wall every time you walk out of this place. We've said this every week. We want these core values that we've been walking through that you've seen is rooted in the Word of God for them not just to hang on a wall, but to hang on your heart. So this last one we're going to cover this morning, and it's rooted right in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. It's this, missionally driven in all we do. Now here's what I found out when I was typing out my sermon this week. Missionally keeps showing up as though I've misspelt something. It's not a word that's you're probably going to hear out in whatever environment you are when you walk out of these doors, but it's significant because it's going to remind us of how we need to view everything that we do. See, I was thinking about this. We're all driven by something, right? Every one of us. We're all driven by something. Some of us are career-driven in all we do. I mean, and that is the thing. That is the goal. That's the thing that we pursue above everything else, not saying that you're saying it's right, but if you look at your life over the past few months, I wonder if you would say, man, I'm career-driven in all that I do. This might strike a nerve with more of us. Some of us say, man, I'm kids-schedule-driven in all that I do. I run to my kids here, there, everywhere, like I just feel like I'm a bus service. Like, any people in here like that? So you can say Amen. No one, wow, that's amazing. Maybe, maybe we're the only ones, Lori. But kid-driven in all we do. Maybe that's you. Maybe it's, man, I'm guilt-driven in all that I do, or I'm anger-driven in all that I do. We are all driven by something. But what I want to encourage you with is that if you call this place your home, if Salem Chapel is your home church, then what we want to be is a people who value being missionally driven in all we do. And if that's what we are going after, then it's important that we define what we mean by missionally driven and all we do. And if we're going to define that, then we first need to understand what is God's mission. Let's, let, let's start there. Because we can all give what our mission may be, and I just mentioned some of those. Those may be the things that are driving us in all that we do. But what is God's mission? And so if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. I just came up with a simple definition of what God's mission is, and then I'll show you how it's rooted in Scripture, because that's very important. God's mission is this, and many people may say it different ways, but here's, here's how I say it. To reconcile all things back to himself through Jesus Christ. That's God's mission, to reconcile, to make right all things back to himself. Do you remember in the, if you were here or you maybe watched it online or, or wherever you may have, we, we walk through some narratives that are throughout scripture. So let's think about that definition. Let's not take my word for it, but let's think about the thread through scripture. This is going to help you understand when you read the Bible. So Go back to Genesis, 
And what God does is he creates the heavens and the earth. And he says they are what? Starts with a G. Say it with me. Good. He creates everything. And he creates it perfect. He creates man and woman. And he creates them perfect. And they live in this perfect environment. And they have this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God says, here's this one tree. If you eat of it, you will die. But you can have everything else. They live in this perfect world. And we know that you only go a few chapters in, don't know the length of time before Adam and Eve did this, but they eat of that fruit, they sin, and sin enters the world. And they're driven out of God's presence, out of that garden. Sin enters the world. But we know that there's some hope in the midst of that tragedy because in Genesis 3.15 it says, God gives hope in saying that there will come someone who will crush the serpent's head. In other words, crush the plans that the devil desired. So from then on, all throughout the Bible, we are on a story of God doing what is necessary to reconcile all things back to the way that they were through Jesus Christ. So think of it, when you're like in some weird passage of Scripture, you're like, what in the world is going on here? Like, think about it in the greater picture. Okay, this seems really screwed up right now. But that's sin. And God is on a mission to reconcile that amongst all things back to himself. And how is he going to do it? Through Jesus Christ, through his life, death, and resurrection. How many of you are readers in this room? Raise your hand. You'd like to read? Okay. Much like the 9 a.m., a very academic crowd. How many of you, if you're reading fiction, love to go to the end of the book and find out the ending before you get into the book? Raise your hand. Don't be ashamed of that if that's you. Okay, so we have quite a few. Quite a few. My mother's like that. She'll probably watch this. My mother's like that. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's a show. If it's, man, I was like, Mom, you got to watch this series on Netflix. It's amazing. Like, it has you at the edge of your seat. So you know what she'll do? She'll Google the spoilers. Because <laughs> heaven forbid I'm ever caught by surprise by anything. Like, I told her she needs to work that thing out with someone. <laughs> so some of you are like that. And I don't know what the cause is for you, but if, if you're not like that and you're like, man, I hate to do that, don't ruin that for me. Like, there's a couple movies I want to see, which I'm not going to tell you of because I don't want to be judged this morning, but I purposefully am not looking at all the spoilers. Like, I'm very thankful for the YouTube videos or the tweets or whatever it is that say, don't read this spoiler alert. Well, if you're not familiar with the Bible, with this story, spoiler alert. I want you to turn to Revelation 21. Because I want you to show you how this mission of God that I gave you, the way I articulated it, which is better to say, the way that I articulated God's mission, how it's rooted in Scripture. When I say God's mission is to reconcile all things back to himself, Genesis 3, we have sin enter the world. From Genesis 3 all the way through to the book of Revelation, that is what God is doing. And now we're coming to the spoiler alert to what actually happens. This is what we can look forward to. This is how we can say today that I know the end of the story. Now, I forgot my glasses at home, so we'll see how we can do this. Verse 1 says this, 
Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth has passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned adorned for her husband. So there's a lot of imagery in Revelation. But everything has been new heaven, new earth has been created, verse 5 and or verse 3 can't see what verse that is. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. So at this point, man, every person believes in Jesus Christ and who God is. No more sin. It says he will wipe away every tear. Say that word, every every. See, if you come in here discouraged this morning, you come in here disappointed, you come in here grieving, understand that there's coming a day where that will be no more. That God cares about every tear that you shed today. God cares about every tear that you shed yesterday or you'll shed tomorrow. But there's coming a day where there will be no more sorrow. It says, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. I share that with you as we get started in this, because if we don't understand what God's mission is, then we're going to struggle in understanding what it means for us to be missionally driven in all we do. If I don't understand what God's mission is, then I'm not going to read the Bible in a lens that is proper. I'm not going to see my life as a part of God's mission because missionally driven means this. So if God's mission is he's reconciling all things to himself through Jesus Christ, then what does missionally driven mean? It means this, embracing God's mission as my mission in every arena of my life. I use that word embrace for a reason because we have all different ways that we hug, right? Like, right, like, I mean, I even did this, this before I came into the service, man. You got some people, and you don't really know them super well, so what do you do? Well, you give them the side hug, right? Because you're like, I don't know if I can give them a whole hug yet or how they'd feel about that, so I'm going to give them kind of a half hug, right? And then guys, like, we hug in a certain way. I did not know this until someone pointed this out to me a few weeks ago. I went to give a guy a hug, and I patted him on the back really hard, and he did the same thing to me. And she's like, why do guys always pat people on the back so hard, other guys that they hug? And I'm like, I guess because we want to act manly when, even though we're hugging. <laughs> but think about that word embrace. It literally has this idea. I'm going to give you this visually. It'll probably be burned into your memory. It literally means this, right? Like, like holding something tightly, embracing it. And what I've found is I only have two arms, and so do you, and I can only embrace one thing at a time. So when I say embracing God's mission as my mission in every arena of my life is to see that, wow, in this grand mission of God, to reconcile all things back to himself through Jesus Christ, I understand, and we're going to see in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20, maybe you don't understand this, but hopefully as we walk through God's word this morning, you will begin to see that God has given me an opportunity 
to be a part of that mission. And so I want to be missionally driven in all that I do. Man, I want to see every arena of my life as an opportunity to be on work with God. I remember when my dad, my dad was, a, was a pastor, just retired, and I remember sometimes he would take me with him when I was small, and we'd go to a hospital visit, or we'd go do something, and, and I loved it. You know why? Because my my dad made me feel important that I was going with him like I, he needed me. Like I was going to work with my dad. Some of you can identify with that. Did my dad need me? He could have perfectly done what he needed to do that day without me, but he allowed me to be on the journey with him. That's what God has given us the opportunity to be a part of. So let's look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. I know that was a long setup, but I think it's important that we understand the term missionally driven before we go into God's word and see what our response is to that idea, to that value. And let me tell you, I can't think of a better passage of scripture that communicates succinctly who we are as followers of Jesus Christ and what we have been called to be about than 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. And so here's what I want to do as we walk through this passage of scripture. I want to give you three reasons why you ought to be missionally driven in all that you do. And when I say you, I also mean me. Three reasons why we ought to be missionally driven in all we do. The first one is found in verse 17. Look what it says. It says, therefore, now, if you've been paying attention, I've told you this before, that when you see therefore, it tells you, "Uh uh-oh, I better read what's above it. Now, we don't have time to read verses 1 through 16, but let me tell you, the whole chapter of 2 Corinthians 5 is about our responsibility as followers of Jesus Christ. So Paul's going to say, therefore, and we're going to touch on what he talks about before later on in this message. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. There's such significance. As I said, there's so much jam-packed in these verses 17 through 20. Say anyone with me. Anyone. Doesn't matter how far you've gone, doesn't matter how deep your sin is, doesn't matter how far you've wandered away from everything that you were raised to believe in. It says anyone. That's a key word. It doesn't say therefore if some. It says therefore if anyone is in Christ, you are a new creation. You have been made new in Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Look at what it says. The old has passed away. So when I place my trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, not in the good that I can do, but in the perfection that he's accomplished for me through his life, death, and resurrection, here's what happens. I am now saying, no, 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 those old values, that old value system, those old beliefs that it was all about me, those, all, those old passions, those sins, all of those things, when I place my trust in Christ, God says the old has passed away and the new has come. That ought to be a verse that your life is anchored in. We just sang a song, I am who you say I am. That's why I so often have a problem that we live in a society today that wants to define ourselves by what we do. And we only do that with certain sins. 
I'm not going to take time to mention what those sins is, but here's what I've never found, and maybe if you have, you can raise your hand. I've never found someone that says, hey, let me introduce myself. My name's Johnny Pereira, and I just want everybody to know in the circle, I'm a liar. <laughs> never, never ran into that. No one was ever that honest. All right, I just want everybody to know that I'm filled with anger. But we do that with some things, right? But listen to me, whatever your struggle is today, you need to understand that God does not define you by that struggle. The old has passed away and the new has come. And that word new is an interesting word because it has the idea of new as in it's happened at a time in your life when your eyes were open to realize how much Jesus loved you and you put your trust in him, you were made new positionally. That God sees you through Jesus Christ. He doesn't see you through your sin. He sees you through his son. You have been positionally made right with God. But here's what's awesome. When that happens, that word new also has the idea that it's an ongoing process where I'm becoming more and more made new as I grow in my relationship with the Lord. So the yes to God and the no to my sin grows more and more. My desires for those old things that passed away start to wane, and my desire to want to please the Lord and obey his word and live my life for him begins to grow. Why? Because the old is past and the new has come. Because I've been made a new creation, and that's available for anyone. Which leads me to the first reason, because if we're going to be missionally driven in all that we do, then it needs to be anchored first in this first reason. The reason why I'm missionally driven in all that I do is because I have been made new because of Jesus Christ. He's done that in me, and he's done that in you. You've been made new. How awesome is that to realize I should not be driven by the guilt of my past. I have been made new. And you can always tell when it's a lie of the enemy when it contradicts what God's word says. That's why I'm emphasizing this because some of you are so guilt driven and what you need to memorize and preach to yourself is verse 17. I don't know, I'm a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. Yes, evil still is in the world. Yes, I still battle with sin, but I'm not defined by that anymore. See, for some of us, it's learning this, that my destiny as a child of God and what I have and what I have to look forward to in eternity with God forever is the lens by which I view my present reality. I've been made new. And the reason why I'm starting here with missionally driven is many of us need to blow the dust off of our relationship with the Lord. We just do so many things out of habit. Man, I come to church, yeah, bring my Bible and sing the songs. And my relationship is as stale as two-month-old shredded wheat. And it's as dry as it too. And we need to ask the Lord, Lord, would you give me a hunger again and a thirst again? and a love again, and appreciation again? Would you allow your son to to, to shine on my shade that I've been putting on the gospel of Jesus Christ and let me remind myself what I have been given? I have a new identity. I have a new destiny. Man, I'm a child of God, and that needs to be the lens by which I view my present reality. I have 
been made new. Think about when you're buying something. Whether it's a car, whether it's a gadget, whether it's a home, whether it's a, man, you're shopping for a bank, whether you're shopping and you're like, you're moved to the new area and you're like, what are the new grocery stores? What are the new shops? What are you doing? You're asking people, right? And if I was to sit down with you and I was to, to say, man, I've just moved to Winston-Salem and I'm curious, you know, what are, what are the, what, what's the best grocery store to shop? And you're like, well, let me tell you, this one is 0.2 miles from your house and let me list to you all the things that it has. And, and it has this type of produce and that type of produce and everything. You know what I really want to know? Do you like it? Do you like it? You enthused about it? You excited about it? Like, think about anything. The first thing that I look at is consumer reviews for something. Like, yeah, the text, give me all the tech stuff and, and how many miles per gallon or, I mean, mention anything that you want or, or you know, what type, of, what type of, you know, whatever it is. But what I want to know is are you satisfied with it? Do you love it? Has it changed your life? Every one of us know the greatest marketing tool is not advertisements on social media or commercials or billboards or whatever. What is it? Word of mouth. And I know we don't like to use marketing and church in the same word, but I'm getting at a point here that I think you know where I'm going. The greatest advertisement for the gospel of Jesus Christ. How excited are you that it's made you new? Because if I'm walking around like this, all the time, I'm like, dude, whatever he has, I don't want it. But see, Paul, before he ever gets to what we're called to do, he reminds them of who they are. They've been made new by Jesus Christ. And verse 18 says what? All this is from God. Just once again driving home the generosity of our God, the goodness of our God, that God designed this plan, that Christ is the means by which this plan accomplished, was accomplished. And this plan reveals God's goodness to you. All this is from God. That the only reason today that I can celebrate that I have been made new in Jesus Christ is because of God. It's not that God looked down the corridors of time and says, man, Johnny is going to be amazing. So I want to save him. No, no, no. All this is from God. None of us deserve it. None of us could earn it. None of us could warn it. God didn't need us. But all this is from God. What does it say? Verse 18, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. That word reconcile is an interesting word. It's mentioned a couple more times in this passage of scripture. Whenever you find the word reconcile in the New Testament, always speaks of God being the initiator and us being the recipients. God's the author of my salvation. God's the author of your salvation. It drives home the reality that I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it, I couldn't cause it. 
That's what that word reconcile means. He is the one who began the good work in me, Philippians 1, 6. And an indicator, and I've seen this in my life, an indicator that I'm growing in my relationship with the Lord, and man, it's fresh, is how often I'm looking for opportunities to share what has changed me and is changing me. See, the first reason I'm missionally driven is, number one, I have been made new because of Christ. But here's the second one. Look at what else it says in verse 18. It says, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Here's what I love, that Paul just doesn't stop in saying that God gave you salvation. But he also says, God just didn't give you salvation, but he also gave you something else. He gave you a ministry to share of God making a way that God made, you, made possible for you to be right with him. He gave you that ministry. He saved you, and he gave it to you, which goes to our meaning of ecclesia, right? A group of called out ones that are called for a purpose. Here it is. Now, I grew up in an independent, fundamental Baptist church, and they stopped with any more adjectives they could think of. I just thought of a couple more. Independent, fundamental, Baptist, King James only church. Just thought of another one. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you can identify, because I'm still recovering Here's what, here's what I found. This is what, this is what I was told. So it was between my junior, my sophomore and junior year that I really felt like the Lord wanted me to pursue going into ministry for a career. And I remember we had this culture, it was like guys who were pastors were in full-time ministry. And everybody else, man, you were bankers, you were teachers, you were financial investors, you were welders, you were mechanics. I mean, we'd go on and on with the occupation, but pastors, no, no, they're in full-time ministry. And you know, I thought to myself, now reflecting, there, I'm not sure that there could have been a worse thing that you could have told someone who's a follower of Jesus Christ. Because I just fed into your flesh into thinking that's someone else's responsibility. I don't need to tell you that. But when I look at God's word, particularly this passage of scripture, and let's look at it again at the end of verse, verse 18, and it says, and God gave us. Who's us? That's you. That's me. He gave us what? The ministry of reconciliation, the gospel message. So you know what that means? Every person in here who's a follower of Jesus Christ is in full-time ministry. Every one of us. So if I'm a teacher, I'm a teacher who's in full-time ministry. 
If I'm a hedge fund manager, I'm a hedge fund manager who's in full-time ministry. If I'm a welder, I'm a welder who's in full-time ministry. If I'm a mechanic, I'm a mechanic who's in full-time ministry. If I'm a banker, I'm a banker who's in full-time ministry. If I'm a stay-at-home mom, I'm a stay-at-home mom who's in full-time ministry. If I'm a stay-at-home dad, I'm a stay-at-home dad who's in full-time ministry. On and on and on and on. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I am a person who has been called out for a purpose. I'm in full-time ministry. You are in full-time ministry. In fact, just say that phrase with me again, full-time ministry. Full-time ministry, every one of us. This leads me to the second reason I need to be missionally driven. I've just said it about six times. I have been entrusted with a ministry from Jesus Christ. That God says, Johnny, I've saved you. I've saved you from something, and I've saved you for something. I've saved you because of Jesus Christ. It's life, death, and resurrection for you. I've shown you how much I love you by allowing you to understand and opening up your eyes to the realization of my love for you. But I also want you to understand that that same message that has changed you and is changing you is to be shared with others around you. I have made you new, but I've also entrusted you with a ministry from Jesus Christ. Look at what else it says in verse 19. He just defines once again what that ministry is. I love the way Paul writes because he's so logical. Because some of you are like, well, what's the ministry of reconciliation? And the Holy Spirit is like, I'm glad you asked. Verse 19, that is in Christ, God was reconciling, making right the world to himself. What did we say our missions, God's mission was? Reconciling all things back to himself through Jesus Christ, straight from Scripture. Not counting their trespasses against them. So in other words, there's no sin too great that doesn't apply to the forgiveness found in Jesus Christ, and he entrusted to us the message. Now you see ministry of reconciliation, now you have message of reconciliation. You're like, what's the difference? Well, the ministry is what I'm called to, the message is what I'm supposed to share. See, the message, it's that word logos. Anytime you find that word in the New Testament, it has the idea of truth. Not a fable, not a myth, not folklore, no, no, no. The truth is the gospel. It is a message of how one can be made, with, made right with God once again. And he entrusted it to us. It's such an important word. I don't want to gloss over that word because it literally has the idea of committing something very precious to someone else. Let me put it in these terms. How many, how many dads we have in here who have a daughter? Raise your hand. Okay, quite a few. How many of you have already had your daughter, or you've married off your daughter? Raise your hand. Okay, more than the first service. So this, this, this is going to resonate with you. So when I think about my kids are some of the most precious things to me. And when I hear this, when I see this verse and hear this verse, it always makes me think of this, is what's one of the most symbolic acts of entrusting something that is precious to someone else, and I think of a wedding. 
And I think of the father walking his daughter down the aisle. Right? Think about what that is. Now, I've done a lot of weddings, and I've said this before, but also I'm not, I'm not naive enough to think that everything I say up here you remember. So whenever I'm doing a wedding, this always comes to my mind. I always think of this passage, and I think of this time where, it's, where God willing, it's going to happen to me, where I walk Lily down the aisle. And those of you dads who have done it, you know what this is like. And when I do weddings, so often I'm thinking about this time, and sometimes I'll even get a bit emotional when I'm watching the bride come down the aisle, and everybody thinks I'm getting emotional over them, but really I'm not. I'm thinking about when I have to do this, but I let them think that. <laughs> now, now, now you'll know. <laughs> and I think, man, you have this, you have this girl that you've invested your entire life in, hopefully, hopefully you're raising her to love the Lord and all that, and you're, hope, you're praying ever since she's born, hopefully that she'll marry a guy who loves Jesus and those types of things, and you're walking your daughter down to this guy that God willing you like and will learn to love. Right, right, yep, that, I knew. Got some from the dads who've done this. But what happens You're standing there, and at least in the weddings that I do, I say, who gives this bride to be married to this man? And what the husband, or what the dad says, and if his wife is present, also says, or mother's present, is her mother and I do. And all of a sudden, what happens? That you take that, you you let go of your daughter, and you place her, you entrust her into the hands of your future son-in-law. Now listen to me. That's the idea of the word entrust. To take something that is very, very precious to you and handing it off and entrusting it to someone else. Listen to me. If I was with God one day and we're looking down the corridors of time and he says, this is my plan, I'm like, God, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but that's the worst plan ever. Like, don't you know these people? But even in that, it's an act of grace. See, so often I look at being entrusted with this message of the gospel to share with other people, and I view it as a burden. Rather than understanding what a privilege it is to be a carrier of something that has radically changed my life, and that I could have the opportunity to share it with someone else. I mean, I've been in rooms with people that have placed their trust in Christ. And it's something that I think every believer should experience it because that's how God designed it. And the preciousness of that, of hearing someone call out for the first time, God, I realize that you've forgiven me of my sin. I put my trust in you. However that happens, there's no magical prayer. It's just simply acknowledging I'm a sinner. Jesus Christ saved me of that sin, and I'm putting my trust in him. However that's worded, however that's said in your head. But it's sitting in the weight of that. I hope you feel the weight of that. 
that God's plan for people to hear how much he loves them is you. And it's me. And he's given me that ministry. And here's the last thing. Look at what it says in verse 20. It says, therefore. Paul loves these therefore statements, right? So this is who we are. This is what we've been given. Therefore, verse 20, we are ambassadors. Say that word with me. Ambassadors. We're ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Listen to me. You've heard me say this before, and I will say it today, and I'll say it again in the future. The the greatest testimony of the life-changing power of the gospel is how it is changing you. And for some of us, I think that's why we don't share it, is because we know we're not living the way that we should. But some of us are like, man, what if... What if I share something with someone and they, and they ask me how to explain, man, do I believe in the gap theory or do I believe in a 24-day creation or, or all this other stuff? Man, they're going to ask me questions that I don't know and all those different types of things. And you know what I always tell people? Stick to your story. Let me share with you how Jesus has changed me. Here's how you need to view your story. This is who I was before Christ. This is how I put my faith in Christ, and this is how God is changing me. Those three things. It's sharing your story. It's you going into the office and thinking to yourself as you're getting dressed and you're doing your hair, and you're doing your hair, I'm not doing my hair, and <laughs> you're doing all those different types of things to get ready, and you're like, you know what, man, I'm, I'm going on the mission field today. I'm going out of these doors. I'm going to where I work. I'm going wherever that is. God, would you help me have an opportunity to share how Jesus has changed me? Man, we, we pray about so many things, and I think that's awesome. You ought to pray about so many things. But you know one prayer that I've found that God quickly answers every time and rarely gives a lot of time of waiting is, God, would you give me an opportunity to share Jesus with someone. See, a lot of us know that who've grown up in church. That's why we're afraid to pray it. But wait a minute. The third reason why I'm called to be missionally driven and all that I do is because, because I'm an ambassador of Jesus Christ. What is an ambassador called to do during this time? Very similar today. First of all, it's this. His responsibility was this. He was to speak for the king. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11, just a few verses up, Paul talks about he sees a responsibility to persuade others that has the idea of telling others who Jesus is. Man, we speak on behalf of our king. God is making his appeal through us. But I also live in such a way that is representative of the king which means my life needs to be lived in such a way that's different from those who have yet to place their trust in Jesus Christ. Like they ought to see a difference in me. They ought to see that I react differently to certain things. They ought to see that there's certain things that I don't do, that they may do, and I don't look down my nose judgmentally at them, but they ought to see a difference in me. Why? Because I'm an ambassador of the king, and I live as a representative of the king. 
And then obviously I'm to proclaim what the king has entrusted to me. This won't be the last time you hear me say this either. But that's why I say the church is not a collecting community. Our purpose here at Salem Chapel is not simply to fill this place up, to create a couple more services, to have an amazing worship experience, to provide more programs for you, though there's not necessarily anything wrong with those things, but that's not the purpose. We are not a collecting community. Why? Because we are called out for a purpose. We are an equipping and mobilizing community. That is who the church is. That is who we are called to be. That is what we want to be about as as a church, is that we are called to equip each other and to encourage each other to be mobilized, to go out into their city where they live, work, and play, and by God's grace, even have the opportunity to send people out internationally and nationally out of this place. That's what we are called to do. Why? Because we are missionally driven. God's mission is my mission. And it's your mission. And there's no higher calling than that. Yes, you're called to be a mom and a dad and and to be a parent and to be a spouse and to be a good person at work and all those different types of things. You're called to do all those things, but there is no higher calling. The lens by which you fit all of that in is understanding how do I go about God's mission in whatever environment I've been placed in. That's why I say these things that we're sharing with you are not add-ons, but they're to help determine what you do and how you do it. According to this, I want to give you a couple questions just to evaluate and get super practical. Two questions to ask as we close. Here's the first one. Where has my mission deviated from God's mission for my life? And I encourage you to write these down or type them in your phone or wherever you can make reference to them again because these are good evaluating questions that you need to bring yourself back to. Because you know what I've found? I can walk and know what the straight line is that I need to walk and remind myself, no, no, God, I need to, your mission needs to be my mission. But if you're like me, which you probably are, I have a tendency to drift career-driven, kids' activities-driven, sports-driven, guilt-driven, anger-driven. No, 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 no. God, let me bring myself back to being missionally driven. But first of all, i got to identify my present reality. Where has my mission deviated from God's mission? Ask yourself that. And here's the second thing you need to ask. How can I be missionally driven at work, at home, in my neighborhood, and beyond? Some of you are here today, and God has been working in your heart to pursue what it looks like for you to leave everything and go find a new career to share Jesus with others, and you're battling. Maybe that's true for you. But others of us, 
We don't need to go clear across the world. God's called us here. And to be completely transparent with you, I've been praying myself, God, I need to get more engaged in places where people don't know Jesus. I'm surrounded by people who know Jesus. I'm surrounded by pastors almost every day of my life. And that's not that that's a bad thing. But God, I gotta get out of where everyone knows Jesus and is pursuing him and get out with people who need to hear Jesus. And frankly, I needed to confess that as sin. I was like, Lord, can you give me some opportunities to where I can rub shoulders with some people who don't know Jesus on a consistent basis? And what was amazing is, it's not long after I pray that, I get a call about, hey, can you serve on the athletic board of my daughter's school? And listen to me, the last thing I need to be on is one more board. But I was like, yes. Because I was like, here's an opportunity, Lord. What did I say? When you pray that, God usually answers it very quickly. So I'm just sharing that with you to understand that I can drift as much as you can drift, even though we know what the truth is. There's a chart on the screen, and I want you to see it because you're going to see it often. We in this series have defined for you how we are going to articulate what a disciple is. And we want you to know that that is the bullseye by which we are gonna do everything in this church. That a disciple is someone who is God glorifying in all they do, gospel-centered in all they do, loving one another in all they do, disciple-making in all they do, missionally driven in all they do. Man, they're committed to the word, they're committed to worship, they're committed to prayer, they're committed to community. Man, they are committed to mission, that that is how we're defining a disciple, and that is what we're going after in this church. And what I want to do as we close this series is to give us the opportunity to put a flag in the ground, so to speak, and say, if this is what this church is going to be about, then that means if I call this place my home, then this is what I'm going to be about. My life's going to be about this. My marriage is going to be about this. My family's going to be about this. I'm planting the flag. I'm defining a new reality for me. I'm going to stop playing games and looking at my Christianity as an add-on. This is a watershed moment in our church. To define with clarity what we are going to do, what we're not going to do, and how we're going to do it.